0: this is the mg car club podcast with wayne scott and adam
1: sloman on this week's episode we talk to the editor of classic car weekly david simister we uncover an article by cecil kimber and we take a look at the brand new merchandise range from the mgb register the mg car club podcast hello and welcome to another mg car club podcast wayne scott with you here adam in his house hello adam
2: hello wayne how you doing mate
1: (laughs) all right lockdown continuing here in england as i've been corrected in saying adam from our last podcast because i kept referring to it as uk it's all getting very complicated if you need to make sense of it all by the way we've got all the links to all of the coronavirus guidance you'll ever need for each region of the uk on the website at mgcc.co.uk just click the news button there and go to our coronavirus guidance page and it breaks it down for the regions of the uk and the different countries and different bits and, and all the stuff you need to know basically all the links are there because yes it is getting complicated but as far as england is concerned we are locked down and so you are snuggled up and are you in the spare room again adam
2: uh, I'm in the I'm in what uh, you might uh, refer to as the master bedroom. Oh, um, <laughs> now I'm in uh, I'm in my bedroom at the moment. Uh, I'm perched on a very small stool, um, kneeling in front of the bedside cabinet. So uh, that that sort of paints a lovely idea of me in some sort of prayer position as we record this this mm, week's podcast.
1: Very holy, very nice. Indeed, and, uh, yeah. And it's been a busy week actually, as we've been preparing for the NEC Classic Motor Show the virtual edition they are running an online edition you can find all the details on this at necclassicmotorshow.com by the time you listen to this podcast it will have happened but worth mentioning that we were on there announcing the 90 finalists of the mg car clubs photo contest which formed our virtual mg show over the course of the summer so all of your pictures went out to the massive audience that was watching that nec classic motor show online edition hosted by mike brewer and uh yeah we were there in the limelight adam
2: it's a great way to make up for the lack of an actual physical show this year. So, um, so yeah, hopefully everyone will enjoy it. There'll be, a you know, not just the MG Car Club, there'll be all sorts of uh, great classics on show virtually. Um, but just to touch on our photo competition, um, I thought it might be an idea to just let everyone know that the finalists, that the top 90 finalists um, will be put on display at Kimber House
1: i'm assuming that's their photographs not the finalists themselves
2: (laughs) well if they want to give us the cars then you know because there were some stunning cars in those pictures um you know i'd happily take my pick um but no the 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 top 90 photos will be put on display at kimber house
1: excellent stuff so keep an eye on the news pages of mgcc.co.uk for the latest news on that and we'll tell you more over the coming weeks on this podcast as well now mg's down under
2: adam there's been developments in australia according to media reports the head of mg motor australia has confirmed that they will be taking a right hand drive version of the new and i use that word very very importantly their new uh, mg5 so that's not the battery powered car that we get over here nor the 1.5 saloon that some markets get this is the brand brand new mg5 that's literally just launched in china that
1: was the sexy yellow one we saw on the beijing motor show stand wasn't it
2: yes so this is a uh, again a 1.5 turbo Um, but uh, interestingly um, the australian market is apparently going to be taking their cars from mg's factories in thailand which i think will mean it's the first time that a thailand built mg has been sold outside of the thai market so that's an interesting development because again that could open up opportunities for more mgs to come to the uk from that right hand drive market
1: absolutely and just another one of those territories where mg is starting to make its mark um i don't know what the size of the australian market is though Will they have a significant impact there do you think to give us those cars
2: well apparently uh mg are seeing it as a toyota corolla rival now toyota uh, sort of have a huge market share in australia even more so and i'm sure some of our friends from down under will either corroborate or correct me on this um but i know that um since with the very sad demise of holden uh, a little while ago um and ford uh s- stopping production in australia um the sort of toyota have have taken a bigger and bigger share in the aussie market so if mg can offer something that is broadly similar to a corolla but more affordable than a corolla and backed by a longer uh, stronger warranty then that could really give them a, another leg up um they're also launching the zs ev in australia which i think will be mg's first ev in australia um so yeah so the the growth down under really does uh, really does seem to have a lot of momentum to it
1: the impact of the geography of australia i'm guessing makes a lot of the territories there quite difficult to sell electric vehicles into at the moment outside of the big cities your sydneys and your melbourne's etc i should think it's quite difficult to run an ev in australia especially in some of those more remote uh, rural areas hence i guess they've launched only internal combustion engines there but interesting to see how that future is going to develop for australia in that sense
2: yeah i mean it all comes back to those two main things that so many sort of non-electric car fans worry about you know which is range and, and infrastructure um australia is you know such a massive country um yeah electric vehicles are going to be a huge huge challenge for australia
1: well tomorrow which is uh the 12th of november we're recording this on wednesday the 11th tomorrow there is the big announcement from the uk government that they are to ban the production of internal combustion engines by 2030 and also the ban on hybrid plugins by 2035 that will be officially announced in parliament we've been here in the media speculate about that 2030 cutoff date for the manufacture of internal combustion engines it's about to get ratified in politics and that will become law and will become part of the plan for the future so that's only a decade away mg are well placed to take on the market in those conditions but a lot of other manufacturers i think will be wondering how on earth they keep up with the pace of change
2: yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I've I've seen this week. I think Bentley have announced that they will no longer be producing uh, internal combustion engine vehicles fairly fairly soon. Um, yeah, from a personal point of view, I'm still not sure that electric is necessarily the way forward. I think hydrogen um, has more potential, but will be led by what manufacturers want to do and what the industry wants to do. I guess.
1: Mm absolutely interesting times ahead for the new car market that's for sure in terms of our historic vehicles we just have to make sure that there's sufficient supply of fuel at sufficiently affordable prices which there will be of course because this is the new manufacturer of new cars that is being banned it's not the banning of using old vehicles on the road that are internal combustion engines but the writing is on the wall for the ongoing demand of petrol so we're going to have to keep an eye on that very closely i think to make sure that we have got a supply for historic vehicles to continue to use in the future and that running a historic vehicle can be affordable because the moment the supply drops off of course the price rises
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, I mean, I've read some research around uh, Audi and the VW group have done some research into synthetic petrol. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of further research put into that. We'll watch it. And of course, through the membership of the FBHVC,
1: the Federation of British Historic Vehicle Clubs, Uh, who are our voice in parliament and at the uh, chambers of power of course we will continue to fight on the behalf of all historic mg owners for the right to use our vehicles on the roads in the future now more news here on membership benefits adam now you will have heard a couple of episodes ago on the mg car club podcast very nice chat came on and talked to me about holidays and trips abroad kieran line from scenic carters joined us back on episode 29 of the mg car club podcast and now we have a new member offer with scenic car tours for travel ongoing into 2021 this basically maps out a series of club tours tailored for the mg car club which next year include a seven-day break to the black forest a five-day tour to ireland's causeway coast and a four-day tour of the peak district and something that kieran did tell us back on episode 29 was the increasing interest that they're having uh, from members looking to do tours and holidays right here in the uk and they're also offering a full range of mixed mark tours as well where you get mixed up into members of other car clubs for some long distance road trips through uk ireland and europe and some other worldwide destinations as well i know they're actually working on a tour that takes you to chernobyl oh Um, wow yeah not sure i'm i'm not i'm not sure how i feel about that one but since i've lost all my hair anyway i'm sure it'll be fine
2: um, <laughs> see me Me personally i've always wanted to go to Prípiat. always wanted to go there find it fascinating
1: so mg car club members qualify for a 50 pounds per car Per booking discount. Okay, so it's £50 per car per booking discount off any scenic car tours, holiday or short break. 50 quid off straight away just for flashing your membership. So if you're basically going on a tour next year with scenic car tours they are going to basically pay for your membership straight away there 50 quid done so to get hold of that discount all you have to do is go on to mgcc.co.uk log into the members area and you'll find the code in there and that code will uh, change each year of course so make sure you've got the latest and up-to-date one don't keep trying to use last year's or whatever Uh, and uh, when you book with kieran you'll get 50 quid off through the mg car club nice
2: holiday time we're thinking about it already you see adam be nice wouldn't it i, I quite fancy uh, trying to take on the mantle of being like the mg car clubs equivalent of of judith chalmers um, if you're outside of the uk you might have to google that one but um but yeah no I, there's nothing better really is there than getting away for a proper tour with your car so um yeah well worth it
1: you have to google it if you're outside of the uk or under the age of 50.
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i'm under the age of 50 i'm 38
1: i mean i shouldn't judge because i know you're talking about as well and i'm 36 so there you go he was telling us a lot about the implications of brexit and covid 19 going into 2021 so if you're thinking of traveling if you're thinking of any of those car tours do have a listen back to podcast episode 29 if you haven't done so already it gives us some information and some uh, well an interesting insight really into what they're planning for and what they're expecting in the new year with those changes. We've had lots of messages through from you as well listening to this podcast, and it's been great to hear from every single one of our members. And it's been great to hear from all of you on this podcast over the last few weeks. Lots of you using the contact form, of course, at mgpodcast.uk. And you can write your messages on there using the contact form provided, or even better, and I say this every week, very few people do this. I don't know whether it's because they're lacking in bravery or what or they don't want to hear themselves back but you can leave us a voice message using the little voice recorder on mgpodcast.uk on the contact form there and then we can include your voice on the podcast it's a break from just listening to me and adam droning on basically we like to get you on uh, so do do that keep in touch mgpodcast.uk especially during lockdown times it's nice just to hear from you and to put your messages out on this very podcast we're just here to make it happen for you it's your show really and uh, we start with a message from mark moore that came on the back of podcast 30 and mark says i've just listened with great interest regarding the discussion you had on the six mile mg zt i think you'd be surprised by how much interest there is amongst mg owners to find reference vehicles to help with restorations in 2013 uh, i was lucky to find a june 1963 mgb that had not been modified or altered in any way all components appeared to be those fitted in the factory in june 1963 it had done a lot more than six miles though it had actually been driven for a genuine 59,000, so it did need restoration and mark set about remanufacturing as much as possible to maintain factory specification once completed i started to attend a few events such as mg live and there was an enormous interest in the specifications of my mgb i was getting many questions on small details that caused me to document the specification i ended up creating a website to help other owners therefore your comments regarding using the mgzt as a reference vehicle are very appropriate yeah there you go adam you see you weren't convinced were you but there's people want this information
2: you you say so many inappropriate things to me (laughs) um to hear you say something appropriate sort of you know goes against the grain but uh, i usually wait
1: till we're not recording when i say those
2: things (laughs) no mark's spot on though you know it is important to have those sort of really original vehicles that you can look at so you know exactly how something should um should be you know straight from the factory um my my point was that I think it's kind of a shame if cars don't get used you know Mark points out that he he found a what was it a 59,000 mile MGB Mm. Mm. um so you know that car's been used and enjoyed but kept original Mm. um what I think is a shame is when you come across these cars and they've got eight miles on the clock or nine miles on the clock so no one's ever driven or enjoyed it Mm no fair enough he
1: agrees he says the important thing is to document these details before they're lost keep up the good work and discussion mark says i've been working from home since march and value the podcast discussion and interviews each week and if you're interested in Mark Moore's MGB restoration and those details that he's documented for us all to enjoy, you can visit his little website here at mymgb.net. It's really nice, actually, really good. I recommend you having a peek mymgb.net. Uh, and he says, I hope to see a mymgzt.net website in the future. Well, so do we. I think that's a fantastic idea, Mark. Thanks for getting in touch, George Walter sent us a message via MGpodcast.uk as well subject the voice of god and i thought he was referring to me again adam yeah i thought (laughs) this is excellent i've finally been recognized but no he says i've been trying to find a film or audio recording of cecil kimber has anyone heard a recording of cecil kimber he did put a letter in safety fast magazine this year but uh, no one's come up with anything yet He's found a very short film on YouTube under the Brooklyn's Double 12 uh, race documentary from 1931, and apparently Cecil Kim was at the very end of that. But George says there must be some more film of him. Um, and uh, george writes to us from the mg car club wellington new zealand right over there on the other side of the world well george adam and i have looked through the archives here we're still continuing to look we haven't found anything yet but i suppose what we have to do here is just put this into context this is 1930s this is the early 1930s and Making video, recording audio wasn't as easy then as it is now. It was a really expensive thing to do, and it would have been something reserved for the likes of famous people and politicians and things like that. It's very rare to find any footage from that era just purely because of the expense of recording it, isn't it? You know, and I think really when you look back, we hold Cecil Kimber in great esteem, but back in 1931. He was a relatively unknown manager of a relatively small little car company that had spun off from Morris. Tell me if I'm being unfair there, Adam, but he's not the sort of person that people would have put a lot of expense into recording.
2: No, definitely. I mean, I think his his legacy um, has only grown since his sort of unfortunate passing when he was still relatively young. Um, yeah, it's a funny one because MG were, were just sort of finding their feet literally just as we saw the world sort of fell into world war Two. um if we hadn't had the second world war if he hadn't left mg um maybe we would have more resources of of, of kimber himself but um no, it's a funny one. Like you say, it would have been so expensive, and and while someone like William Morris, who would have been a figurehead of the company, um, you can imagine them being. You know, there there is is footage and audio of, of William Morris, um, Lord Nuffield, but um, for 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 Kimber, I'm not aware of anything. Maybe someone out there has got something that we don't know about
1: maybe there's some comment that he made on a trial or something like that perhaps or from one of the Le Mans races in the uh, mid-1930s perhaps we will keep looking but if you're listening and you have seen or indeed you might have a recording of Cecil Kimbert from the 1930s or before of course uh, 1940s it was well entrenched in second world war and by 1945 he'd passed away in that train accident but um if we have any footage out there if you know of any get in touch we'll let george know and we'll share it with the world via the mg car club podcast also we've started something adam from last week's episode episode 31 where i was talking to the southwest center about partly them being one of the oldest centers in the mg car club but also the fact that uh, we recognized mainly that the kimber classic trial is one of the oldest events in mg car club history well i had a message from paul hollingworth that said i think you've stirred up some controversy here by claiming the southwest center is the oldest i don't think i said the oldest i just said one of the oldest but okay (laughs) we're in the midland center and we believe that we hold the record with our inaugural event having taken place on 9th of july 1933 in november 1935 cecil kimber attended the centre's annual dinner as guest of honor and in the post-war years the center was run by the likes of bill wallace dennis bryan and jeff singham mitchell's dad so the challenge is on for an interview to put the record straight and to correct us is there any advances on the 9th of july 1933 <laughs> we never know but that's what we like to hear A bit of controversy coming through the messages on the mg car club podcast we might not have video of cecil kimber or audio so far adam but uh, now normally you would delve into the kimber house archives this week of course because of lockdown you weren't able to go and delve in the kimber house archives so instead i've delved into my archives adam and i've pulled out a book that i've had for some time i bought it from a i think it was um a car boot sale or maybe even an auto jumble or something it cost me the grand total of two pounds i believe this book is uh it's the sixth edition so i actually think this was printed in the 1950s but i think the original edition was from the 1930s it's a book entitled motor racing and it was edited by the right honorable the earl howe and basically, he gathered together a whole bunch of his mates to talk about cars in this one long encyclopaedia. It's a, it's a hardback encyclopaedia uh, of around about 250-odd pages. So it's quite a thick book. And it's got that... Oh, it's got that lovely old book smell. Do you know that musty kind of old book smell? I love it. I love old yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper that, book smell. Yeah, that's it. Proper book smell. <laughs> and each one of the chapters in this book basically is written by one of the right honourable earl howe's friends in the automotive industry Uh, for example one of the chapters early on in the book is about speed trials and that's written by reed railton Uh, but um chapter three is written by cecil kimber Ah. which they incorrectly spell his name as cecil kimler (laughs) (laughs)
2: which kind of his brother
1: yeah which kind of adds to my point that he was a relatively unknown character in the automotive industry at the time people were they were spelling his name wrong and stuff Um, obviously they weren't proofreading particularly well either when they were producing this book they got his name right on the front cover cecil kimber but cecil kimler he is under chapter three that's attributed to him managing director of the mg company not the mg car company you'll note and the article in this book is entitled racing and the motor manufacturer and the question as to whether racing is of benefit to the motor manufacturer is one to which there is no direct answer kimber says it depends on the type of manufacturer and the type of racing the morris and austin organizations the largest in this country have been both built up without any stimulus from the racetrack as no one would contend for a moment that the small amount of racing which the Austin Concern has done with their smallest model has had any effect at all on their bulk sales. On the other hand, the MG Car Company, a concern with which the writer is associated, built up in a short space of less than 10 years a prestige and worldwide renown that could not otherwise have been achieved. But in this case, the type of product was entirely different from that of the large quantity manufacturer, being one that had a deliberate speed and performance appeal. Also, the cars that were race bore a very strong resemblance to the models that were sold in the ordinary way, and very many lessons that were learned in the stress of racing were embodied in the subsequent production cars to the ultimate benefit of the customer. Brakes, steering, and engine bearing life were perhaps principally affected and improved a few years ago the oil petrol tires plugs and other accessory firms vied with one another in offering bonuses and financial assistance to both drivers and manufacturers and the successful manufacturer also had the estimable benefit of having thousands of pounds worth of publicity spent on the product if successful by these accessory firms To the manufacturer this advertising was perhaps the most valuable adjunct to a successful racing season but a few years ago this practice ceased and the manufacturer who was still indulged in racing not only had the expense of building and preparing the cars paying drivers and supporting a team of highly trained mechanics and pit assistants but after winning a race such a manufacturer was then faced with further big expenditure in order to advertise this win as a manufacturer can only regard racing from a commercial standpoint many quite rightly considered that such publicity was too dearly purchased and one by one they ceased to be interested in motor racing as a means of advertisement this is one reason why the outlook for british motor racing is so gloomy But there is another aspect that affected the manufacturers to a very great extent and for this the race promoters have only themselves to blame. These promoters wanted a large field with plenty of entrance fees and were obsessed with the idea fostered to a very large extent by the daily press that the general public always wanted to see the largest and fastest car win regardless of the fact that the largest and fastest cars used to compete in these races were generally of continental manufacturer i like this this is he's having a real pop here at the <laughs> Uh, the british manufacturer making a diversity of models and concentrating largely on the small and medium-sized cars very naturally prepared and entered these particular types this necessitated some form of handicapping and it sells well for the small british car and its reliability under very severe conditions that when they won it it was generally due to the lack of reliability of the larger continental car which so often broke up after perhaps leading the race for most of the time this handicapping by some of the race promoters would not have been too bad in providing a reasonable spectacle for the general public if they'd gone about it in a fair and more logical way the system was to divide the cars into various classes according to their engine capacity but having done this these handicappers did not as they should have done handicap pro rata to size but would deliberately favor one particular class in order to encourage the entry of a certain manufacturer who would normally be competing in that class but who on a strictly pro-rata handicap basis would have no chance of winning and then he goes on to uh, explain the exact technical specifications of a typical mg up against some stuff from germany
2: it's interesting because a lot of what he says there is still true of today um you know a lot of people sort of get upset that that mg motor uk don't throw more money at motorsport um but like kimber himself says there that kind of publicity is very dearly bought it costs an awful lot of money to get that sort of traction and as he also rightly says because they are not making
1: cars that are sold in sports or race trim they are so far removed from what you buy at the showroom unlike mgs of old would have been that it kind of doesn't bear any relevance and i think that's what formula one has suffered from in recent decades is that the cars have been so far removed from reality that people can't relate one to another anymore so the sport is almost completely divorced of the manufacturing of road cars that goes behind it and so there's less of the effect of winning on sunday people buying on monday because people don't they don't Correlate the two in their minds, you
2: know, no, definitely. I mean my my favorite forms of motorsport have always been those where you can look at the car and go, I could have one of them, Do you know what I mean world rally, circuit racing, um you know that's that sort of thing where the cars are more tangible to what you and I drive every day formula one is is so exotic and like you say so far removed it's hard to to feel that link between what lewis hamilton uh runs around in on a sunday afternoon and what i then go to work in on a monday morning
1: cecil kimber got very upset about formula one he also got very upset about germany and the auto union teams and he says here uh, whilst this gloom was settling over the british motor industry and affecting its attitude towards road racing A much more sinister aspect came into being in the shape of government-subsidised racing teams. Italy was the first to start this and at one time practically swept the board at all the continental Grand Prix. It was undoubtedly done as a form of national propaganda and there is no doubt that it obtained for her motor products a reputation that was sometimes not always deserved. Germany was quick to see the advantage of this and went into it with typical teutonic thoroughness the mercedes-benz and auto union teams were the result and the amount of money that these two teams must have cost their respective firms in designing building and testing and maintaining would obviously never be justified looked at as an individual commercial proposition now if you set that in the context of the times as we're going into the second world war here quite poignant isn't it you know he ends this piece by saying this is how german racing cars can assist the german motor industry and it now remains for the british government to consider whether we as a nation should not take our place in grand prix racing in view of the fact that our motor industry is the third largest industry in this country and larger than any other country in europe this racing can only be done nationally with government subsidy there is not incentive or the reward today for the individual manufacturer to build and race cars on his own i thought that was quite an interesting insight into how cecil kimber looked at manufacturing motorsport and how it played a part in the story of the uk plc if you like
2: yeah definitely that's um and like i said so much of that still is um relevant to today so no that's a really interesting find there mate mm, marvellous it's called motor racing it is edited
1: by the right honorable the earl howe this is the 1950s edition i think but i think the original edition of this came out in the mid 1930s it also goes on to show you how to take various different race circuits as well and there's little diagrams of the different circuits and the lines you should take when you're racing at brooklyn's which is excellent brilliant book well coming up in just a moment on this podcast we're going to be talking to the man that's the editor of what has become the mouthpiece of the classic car world david simister editor of classic car weekly in conversation next the mg car
0: club podcast the mg car club the mark of friendship to take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast.
1: Well, on this week's MG Car Club podcast, we are joined by the man who is at the helm of the mouthpiece of the classic car world yes it is one of the most important publications actually that keeps us all up to date with the wider classic car world it is of course classic car weekly and the editor david simister hi david
3: hi how are you doing
1: very well thanks very well now i understand that you are probably running through this interview on severe sleep deprivation because you have just become a proud dad, haven't you? <laughs>
3: yes, I was going to say, yeah, he's uh, my little boy is a month old today, so I'm... Uh slowly but surely getting used to uh the, the sort of the world of sort of running classic car weekly and having a uh, a screaming one, one month old as well so uh, it's uh, yeah obviously get getting used to it but uh, you know it's a, it's a bundle of joy and uh, you know I, I, I love love having him around as well
1: worked out kind of well for you hasn't it let's put a positive spin on what has been a disastrous year because you have been unusually working from home a lot haven't you and what a brilliant year for you personally to have done that
3: yeah i i, I, I can't well, like it's, it's but you know now in in particularly working from home has been um has been a huge advantage you know with with being a new parent because it means obviously uh um, yeah, I can be producing uh, reading pages on Classic Car Weekly one moment, and then I can get a you know a phone call or a shout, and I'm at the top of the stairs, and I can run straight down. I can do nappy changes, I can do bottle feeds. So it's uh, and the great thing is actually uh, you know um, compared to sort of a lot of people situation having a newborn is that rather than being 40 minutes away in an office, uh, I can actually see all those sort of wonderful little moments that you get with having a little boy. So uh, it's actually been a, a real advantage uh, this year and uh particularly sort of during my wife Kathleen's pregnancy it was also uh, a big help as well because obviously it meant i was there to support her as well and it also meant that uh you know sort of work on classic car weekly could con- could continue unimpeded by that as well
1: well it's nice to see some positive coming out of this year because it has been tough hasn't it and as you say there, you've been working from home as has the rest of the Classic Car Weekly team. How have you found that over the last
3: few months? I think it, it was it was very strange to begin with because, uh, you know, we, we got so used to working in this big open plan office, you know, and uh, I mean, as you all know, we have obviously other magazines, Practical Classics are in the same room, we had uh, Classic Cars as well, Land Rover Own as well and obviously all of the other magazines that we produced, we were all in one huge big office working together and obviously now that would be uh, unthinkable with the pandemic but we had to this situation where we where we're, all, were all literally lifting sort of desktop monitors and laptops and repro we had a, a, a sort of all week of almost, you know, it was almost sort of quite chaotic initially that week in March when Boris Johnson told us all to stay at home but uh, I think that first week was very much trial and error in terms of making sure, you know, we got the paper out on time, it arrived on the, you know, uh, in the shops so our like 25th of March issue off the top of my head but uh, every week since actually I, I think it's the miracle of, uh, of modern technology means that uh, we've been able to carry on you know producing the paper week on week we haven't missed a deadline yet and uh, paper's still going out we're still able to talk to people in the classic car community uh, talking to sort of the clubs the businesses and so on and uh, and that's actually meant that we've been able to carry on publishing uh, classic car weekly and keeping uh, the community informed
1: I've always been amazed by classic car weekly and your team David that you managed to fill that newspaper full of articles on a weekly basis and not just articles, really good, interesting stuff, stuff that forms the narrative of the classic car community throughout the year. But obviously you've had a massive drop in the amount of content there because you haven't had the same number of events to report on. So was that a worry for you initially? And
3: we, we, We've had to be quite sort of, uh, we have to respond quite quick and be quite innovative in, in terms of selling our, our pages. I mean, we did initially have uh, a bit of a change in our pagination just to reflect the fact that yeah you know, we, we were in the middle of a pandemic, but uh, we are now back at the same pages that we would be in any other year. And uh, how we filled those actually, uh, you know, has been very, very much uh, you know in terms of our news pages. There's been no shortage of uh, sort of you know, stories about people, how they respond to the pandemic. There's been a lot of sort of uh, feel-good stories and initiatives from the clubs as well, which obviously has you know, kept us more than busy in terms of news. But in terms of things like events, there's been uh, a huge change in, the, in sort of the way that clubs are working. There's been a lot more in terms of virtual shows as well to keep us busy and uh, it's actually been uh, a good opportunity for us to actually look at some uh, some other articles that we wouldn't normally have run. So we, we did have for example with a piece where we were running cars for under a thousand pounds, those shows and so on that we would normally take them to, they very quickly dried up. So uh, what we did instead we actually got uh, Keith Adams who a lot of readers will remember uh, you yeah, know, was my predecessor yet? the so editor still quite known for buying and selling cars by the bucket loads. We, we we got him to talk every week about the cars that he was running. Uh, we've done more interview pieces. And you know, there's been a lot, lots of different things that we've, uh, in a normal year we wouldn't necessarily have done. So actually, if anything, actually, I think it's quite a, a refreshing change, really, in, t- in terms of how we can run and talk about things in the classic car community we wouldn't have done otherwise.
1: It has been an incredible year to see how resilient that community is, hasn't it? Because... It's almost as if the classic car world has become weirdly stronger throughout this pandemic would you agree
3: Absolutely yeah I mean what I mean the thing that I've seen uh, throughout actually has been um the way that businesses have responded actually to, uh, you know, and I think that's been driven a lot by actually how uh, what classic car owners are doing at home so what we've seen is uh, more classic car owners because they are stuck at home, a lot of them are venturing out into their garages they're they're mucking around with cars that they might not have necessarily had time otherwise to do or maybe they were, you know, know, rather than going to the pub of an evening they'd spend a bit more time, you know, mending their MG Midget or uh, or, something like that and what we've seen as a result of that is that more people are ordering parts for cars, so the parts businesses are doing really well, we're seeing restoration firms, all the ones we've spoken to are keeping really busy, Um, people, auctioneers in particular, we've seen a really strong year from them actually, so we saw a mass movement of car auctions being moved to virtual sales. And when you actually look at their sale rates, actually, uh, they're as strong, if not stronger than they were in 2019. And the prices uh, haven't dipped either, which shows that there's a, a really big demand for um historic vehicles and modern classics at the moment and that hasn't been uh, diminished particularly by the, the pandemic and I think the one, the one part of our community that has been affected you know, I would say is, is, is the event side of things because they're not allowed to obviously hold Community gatherings, but again, what we've seen with that as well is actually uh, we've seen some real innovation in the sector this year. So uh, Goodwood Speed Week was a really good example of how uh, how sort of three really big you know gatherings have been combined into something that's. Uh, uh, you know, gives people out, you know, who are stuck at home something to enjoy. Uh, we saw the Bicester classic car driving weekend, that again was something specifically created to respond to the lockdown. And uh, we've seen other events as well that have gone ahead, uh, but they've they've sort of very much worked around the social distancing rules. So we've seen people getting out there enjoying their cars, but in a a very safe and socially distanced way.
1: I think, in many ways, the classic car hobby has got quite a number of people through this difficult time hasn't it in particular it's been that sort of camaraderie and that community spirit especially with the elderly people amongst the classic car community that has kept people in touch kept people being looked after the number of stories you ran in classic car weekly during the lockdown of people taking cars to take medicines to people there has been a real rallying round hasn't there within the community at grassroots level
3: yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to stress, actually, and especially uh, you know, even now during this sort of this second England-wide lockdown. You know, there, there is no or there is no rule saying that you cannot take your classic car out, or uh, uh, you know, you, it doesn't have to sort of sit in the garage and being unused. So what we've actually seen, we saw this during the first lockdown as well. We, we saw uh, you know people going and, and doing essential journeys in their classic cars, you know, delivering goods for people who couldn't get out, you know, because they were self isolating we, we saw uh, things happening online which uh, you wouldn't normally have seen so and I think actually clubs have played a really big part in that it's uh, you know in, in terms of actually talking about cars and, and, and for so many people that is a passion and uh, when you can't go to uh, you know somewhere like a pub you can't go out and play a footy match on a Sunday you know, actually classic cars are a hobby which uh, people can still go out and enjoy even during the lockdown It's yeah you, know, you have to enjoy it in a different way in order to to sort of keep within the social distancing rules but uh, it's a wonderful thing that these these lovely old cars are actually keeping thousands upon thousands of people happy and also keeping thousands of people in jobs as well
1: absolutely and we're part of that here on the mg car club podcast amazing to think that this is episode 32 and 32 weeks ago we started this very podcast to keep the worldwide mg community in touch and here we are still doing it and uh, it's it's been amazing just to see how many people have latched onto this podcast and obviously i talked to you just as the nec classic motor show has completed its uh, first virtual event on facebook i mean it was weird watching it i have to say and i am suddenly realizing how much i miss the nec and probably miss moaning about it actually but uh (laughs) uh, i suppose that an element of me says uh, that was their first let's hope it's the last but actually we are seeing great engagement online and there were so many conversations weren't there before this pandemic about the threat of social media to car clubs and to the car club structure and the ecosystem but isn't it ironic that It's almost that that saved us through the last few months and brought everyone together back into the clubs again.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and are almost sort of parallels, uh, sort of the career I've had, sort of in newspapers, which is you know people people have been saying for donkey's years, oh, social media will be the death of of what we do, and, and actually the way I see it, actually we we live in the most technologically advanced age there's ever been, and it's it's brilliant that uh, you know we can go out, you know, I can I can sit here in in my study and engage with people in a way that would have been unthinkable even sort of ten, fifteen years ago, and uh, uh, again the fact you know the fact that the uh, the NEC classic car show has managed to to hold a, a, an event that's engaged with so many people this weekend in a way that uh, you know 10 years ago if this pandemic had struck that I don't think that would have been possible
1: absolutely yes thank goodness for technology it's kept us all going but also thank goodness for mgs and you are an mgb man and uh I mean the first question I have to ask you about your own mg is obviously as editor of classic car weekly you have access to all manner of classic cars and you drive all manner of classic cars and i know you own others as well but fundamentally when i see you out in shows you are generally in your mgb what was it about the mgb for you david
3: for me It was, uh, I think, for for most classic car enthusiasts, it's something from their youth, isn't it? And uh, for me, you know, I grew up in sort of the late 80s, early 90s, you know, at the time when a lot of my sort of people I at school, they were were sort of lusting after sort of early 90s hot hatches. But I remember every day when I walked to school, there was a a Chaffney had a, it was a fairly uh, tired-looking V-registered MGB GT. It was in Brooklyn's Green. I remember it well. It was a bit bit shabby around the edges, but I thought that was the coolest-looking car I'd ever seen it. You know, to, to my sort of uh, very young eyes, I, th- I thought this car looked absolutely wonderful. And uh, again, that was something where you know I grew up. I grew up as sort of a dedicated petrolhead. You know, I sort of uh, you know I, I you know got, got into all sorts of cars, but it was always the MGB GT that I kept coming back to. So uh, when the chance actually came up to, to own an MGB GT, and uh, there was you know, again quite an interesting story behind how I got that as well, uh, it that was very much the car I ended up. Up, uh, you know, picking up, and that was, it's always been the MGB that I've always kept coming back to so. At the moment, that particular car, which is a 72 GT in uh, Harvest Gold, uh, that at the moment we were talking about the classic cars bringing uh, bringing joy to enthusiasts. That's actually with my dad at the moment, and he is a uh, he, you know, he's what the government would, would class as a vulnerable person. He's he's been shielding most of this year, and uh, I think it's really important that obviously while I've got my other cars here he can go out if he's feeling a bit down for whatever reason he can go out he can start he can start the mgb up and he can just go out and uh, have have a, a drive in it and to me that is worth its weight in gold
1: was it a barn find then uh, david or how how did you come across the car
3: well when when I, it was about oh, 10 years ago now so i used to work for the southport champion which is obviously a local paper up north and um every I wrote a motion column, and every other week someone would ring in to offer me a, to offer me an old car and generally speaking, it would be uh, a tired fox or astra or a slightly you know jet lagged Nissan micron most of them I turned down. There was a lady who rang me up one day and said i 've got an old car you might be interested in and i thought, "Oh, here we go again." And after all that, she know it's a heart. It's a, it's an MGB GT, 1972. It's uh, hasn't been used for a couple of years." And I, you know, by the end of the phone call, I'd arranged to uh, to go up from Southport to uh, the Lake District, where she had a farm we went up and uh, I I ended up uh, you know buying the car on the spot where you're there and then when I saw it and we came up uh, a friend and I a week later with with obviously a uh, trailer on the back of Fort Mondeo we we, we there was a lot of swearing as we tried to get this car back on the uh, back on the on the trailer but it came down the M6 the following weekend and about 6 months later having you know, sort of, done all sorts of swearing between me and my dad. You know, uh, working on working this car and trying to get the uh, the thing running again. That we finally got the car up and running, and it emerged the following Easter, and we had a, we had a great time. And it's been on all sorts of adventures with us since then. It's been. Uh, been round Wales with us. It's been to MG Live. It's been, uh, you know, on various classic car weekly adventures with us. And the the highlight for me was taking my MGB GT with a, with a friend's MGB uh, up to uh, the Highlands of Scotland. And we had a from I like stag and we had an absolutely wonderful sort of four or five days driving around Glencoe and. Fort William up to Inverness around there, you know, just on these utterly wonderful roads. And there's nothing quite like uh, being at the being at the helm of an of, of an MG and uh, just exploring and just listening to that wonderful B series of full chat. It's you know a really really sort of you know uh, you know, heartwarming experiences. That, you know, there's never been any car that I've really driven that's been quite like it. Really,
1: I think there's two types of people that work in our line of jobs: are those people that view it simply as their work and they go home and shut the door on it and then there's nutters like you and i david who when we come home from work and classic cars during the day we then start on our own ones and, and it's a hobby in a way of life as well as it's been a career isn't it
3: yeah, absolutely. I was I'm very lucky in a way that actually my my hobby and my job are actually the same thing. And uh, yeah, I think the one thing I've missed this year, which I, I probably uh, get off on far more actually than uh, than, than sort of working working on because I'm a fairly bad spanner of, uh, by my own admission. But uh, the one thing I really love doing is is going around car shows, and I've been doing that for as long as I can remember, it, ever since I was in you know sort of uh, tiny shorts and uh, you know with with badly fitting jackets when i was younger but that's what i've been doing is just going out every weekend and just going around and chatting to people with their cars so you know this year to have only been to sort of five or six you know before the pandemic hit is, is just been a uh, sort of a, you know, a very surreal experience i would say
1: it's great isn't it you get to drive so many different cars some really valuable some iconic classics but there's something about coming home and getting in your own there's something special about that but um it is a special moment that needs protecting really and you and i speak pretty much on a weekly basis through my role as the communications director for the fbhvc of course and we are entering into a very difficult period aren't we david because we have had the announcement and the confirmation of what we knew was coming which was the uh, banning of the sale of petrol vehicles by 2030 and of course uh plug-in hybrids and and uh internal combustion engines entirely by 2035 what's your take on this um there's a very pessimistic way of looking at it and there's an optimistic way of looking at it which side of the fence are you sat on at the minute?
3: Uh, to- for me, I, I think actually I'm, I'm going to uh, share one of my uh, other passions in life with uh, with with, with, with uh, listeners to the podcast, which is I'm also a uh, a bit of a train geek as well by my own admission. And uh, one of the things I love doing is uh, going out to heritage railways and uh, you know actually seeing uh, steam trains going up and down and uh, you know things like uh, you know if, if we're going to be really pedantic and you know, about it, you know, things like uh, 50s diesels like the you know, the British Rail Class 50. Which I'm sure people will know as, as the Deltic, you know, wonderful pieces of 20th century engineering. And the way I see that is that, uh, yes, there's been all sorts of moves in technology to uh, have greener and cleaner technology, but you still see the fine Scotsman going up the East Coast mainline. And uh, my view on it is that uh, in sort of 20, 30 years' time, I think that uh, actually we will still have. Uh, you know, MGBs going up the M1 I think that we will have uh, we will still be able to you, know, you might not be able to buy a brand new petrol car but I think you will still be able to buy petrol I think it uh, might be a little bit more expensive it might be a little bit more difficult but I think as a hobby we are very resilient and uh, I think that we will still be able to run those cars and then all the moves I've seen from uh, from government and business at the moment seem to be very much in favour of keeping that heritage on the road so I think there are there are other challenges as well, I think... Uh you know, we, we talked in this week's issue of Classic Car Weekly about how classic cars integrate with autom- autonomous driving technology. I think that's going to be a challenge for us. Um, I think there are, there are other things as well. I think uh, you know the FBHVC in particular has talked about how we bring those skills in to keep the cars on the road, you know, and being restored. That's another big challenge for us. But I think the the legal and legislative, legislative side of things, actually, I think it would be uh, a government, uh, you know, that would. So, yeah, a government that risks taking those cars off the roads would do so uh, you know, at its peril. I think
1: it's a huge industry and one that's growing all the time. As part that's of the NEC, billion. yeah, as part of the NEC stuff, uh, they, you know, the uh, figures of the National Historic Vehicle Survey were premiered. And that's a huge increase on what we saw five years ago, which just goes to prove that, you know, what you were saying earlier about the the business being so resilient around classic cars, especially with the apprenticeship schemes growing year on year. That's a number that people in central government can't ignore, isn't it?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, don't forget, we are uh, we are you know under a government that's headed up by a former motoring correspondent for GQ at the moment. So uh, there are some uh, some pretty you know there are some pretty high profile movers and shakers in the world of government and, and business who are at the end of the day they are petrol heads, and uh, I, I think they are as keen to see classic cars being kept on the roads as we are.
1: As you mentioned, it has to be about that heritage conversation, and in the same way that i guess when horse and carriage stopped being the main method of transport nobody stopped riding horses it just turned from transport into leisure the same might be said about internal combustion engines classic so looking forward to i guess a strategic point of view for classic car weekly will we see do you think the pages of classic car weekly filled full of historic electric vehicles in the future do you see the scene moving that way and do you think those classic cars that are currently running on internal combustion engines we're going to see more of the conversion to those for the future
3: I, th- I think we will. I mean, the uh, the main thing, uh, you know, which which I think I, I would stress to sort of people in the classic car community, it's all about choice at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, we, we, we have featured electric cars previously, and in, uh, in classic car we, we, we had the uh, Swind Mini, I think it was that. That was um, yeah, that, that was one that quite impressed us when when, when we tested that. And there was a, a company that converted uh, a Fiat Five Hundred as well to electric power, and uh, those cars. I mean, the Fiat Five Hundred would uh, sort of normally would would uh, would. You'd struggle to do um, 60 miles an hour on one of these this one was uh, quicker to 60 than most of today's hot hatches are so again it's a very so it's an eye-opening experience a very different one but I think uh, uh, I think there is a real appetite actually for uh, for people keeping their classic cars in, in their original condition as they originally uh, left the factory and I think actually certainly I wouldn't want to convert my mGB to uh, to electric power because there's a certain uh, harmony between the ways the, the sort of the B series and the uh, the components. You know, I, th- I think actually you wouldn't get that same experience, same buzz from having an MGB with electric power. So uh, yes, we will continue featuring them, and I think there'll be a, there will be a point in the, in the future when uh, we start featuring things like Teslas and so on in our pages. You know, in the in the sort of the the distant future of Classic Car Weekly. But uh, that doesn't mean that we should be uh, you know sort of encouraging people necessarily to to swap the, the, their their cars out for electric power. I think the main thing is about giving classic car owners the choice and the information so that they can continue to uh, enjoy their hobby in sort of in years to come.
1: Absolutely. Well, I look forward to meeting the uh, first people to form the Nissan Leaf Owners Club and the Classic Tesla Owners Club and seeing them perhaps at a future NEC show and uh, featuring in the pages of Classic Car Weekly. But uh, as you look forward to 2021, David, and hopefully better times ahead, uh, what do you think we'll see gracing the pages in the next 12 months?
3: I, I think we're, we're, we're going to see uh, more of the uh, more sort of modern classics. Actually, I think is probably the the phrase to, to, to coin it. So, uh, you know, uh, things like I mean, we are we, these are all cars that I think we've we've featured already, but they will start to form a, a bigger part of the market. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about things like the uh, the MGTF from the early 90s. Things like the one one car I would love to have in actually is the MGX Power SV, which uh, again that's a car that's uh, sort of only uh, 15 years old, but again, I think that's uh, we've seen those appearing at classic auctions, and uh, they are they have attracted a following because they are, you know, I think, in a way, they, they sort of embody a lot of what the MG brand is about. It's fast, it's exciting, it's uh, it's got a great sort of story behind it, and I think uh, cars like those will start to feature uh, more prominently in Classic Car Weekly as they form a sort of a bigger and bigger part of the market. So uh, I think it's those cars which. Will Start to see more prominently in in the future. But uh, I think that the balance we always have on Classic Car Weekly is uh, is is making sure that we have enough of those, but also making sure that things like uh, you know I'm a big fan of the uh, the MG Midget, for example. Which obviously that was a car that uh, went out of production sort of 35 years before I was born. But uh, I know you know it's a cracking car, and I know that you know it's, it's something that a lot of uh, enthusiasts have uh, you know a real passion for. So it's uh, it's all about sort of getting the balance right and that's something which uh we're sort of every week on classic car weekly is making sure that we have enough of everything to keep as many enthusiasts as possible happy
1: well we look forward to reading about all that and more in future issues of classic car weekly of course launched every wednesday of every week and uh, special thanks from us here at the mg car club for keeping the community in touch as you do david and also for supporting us at the mg car club with all of the stories that you publish telling the wider world about what we are up to so uh, we're very appreciative of all of the support that you give us and uh, very glad to have a good mg man amongst our ranks from the media so uh, all the best for the future and for fatherhood to come
3: Oh, well, th- thank you very much. Now I'll uh, look forward to uh, keeping everyone informed. Uh, yeah, it hopefully years to come as well. Then, <laughs> thanks, David.
0: Thanks, frank The MG Car Club Podcast. Safety, fast. The magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk.
1: Well, now Adam, it's time to cost everyone a lot of money yes we do that on this podcast every week because now it's time to look at the merchandise we have available now normally i'd direct you to shop.mgcc.co.uk but this week it is something different because we are doing a little bit of a feature on of course one of our major parts of mg car club life and that is our registers and in particular this week the mgb register who have launched adam a brand new clothing line and merchandise range
2: woo yeah they've been really busy working to uh, to put a
1: collection together so i've gone to mgb-register.org and straight away i can see at the top of the page there in the menu the mgb e-shop and it's split into three different areas you've got cars for sale just gonna have a quick look at cars for sale be in there for hours. <laughs> uh, there's the regalia range, which starts off with some oh, some very nice looking key rings there. They've got the MGB register face masks in 2020, the fashion accessory that everyone must have their face mask of choice, of course. There's stickers, there's all sorts of stuff, grill badges going on there. And then what they've got is a really nice clothing line, and this has all been refreshed and renewed and john watson sent us through some of the early images of the clothing that they've come through with here you'll be glad to know ladies they are doing the ladies fit polo shirts etc so you don't have to squeeze into a man's t-shirt either they've got all of them there's some really nice stuff they've got a nice soft padded jacket with the mgb register logo on there right the way through to some really smart college short sleeve shirts a ladies jumper ladies v-neck fleeces which are ideal if you've got the roof down at this time of the year. got to have your MGB register fleece on there. And uh, the MGB register caps, obviously uh, proven very popular. And my favourite, because it looks very cosy, and I've got to have it in the green. Uh, they do like a burgundy and a red and a black, but I've got to have mine in the green. It's the MGB hoodie, Adam. Everyone loves the hoodie, mate. Mm, looks cosy to me. So you can find all of this stuff, and it's all great stuff at the mgb register website shop and that's accessible via mgb-register.org mgb-register.org we'll also put a link to that shop in the description part of the podcast page at mgpodcast.uk now also we get asked a lot about the products that adam and i talk about every week on this podcast And of course we do put those links out and the images out in the newsletter that gets dropped into your inboxes every weekend. But now the MG Car Club main shop via mgcc.co.uk has a special area of the shop just for podcast products. So if you hear us mention a product or a piece of merchandise or gifts for Christmas or anything that we talk about on this podcast and you're struggling to find it, you can't find it in the search box, whatever, just scroll down to the bottom of the homepage on shop.mgcc.co.uk. You'll find a little square there that says MGCC Podcast Products. And there you can see all of the products that we talk about on this very podcast. You see, straight in there, clicking straight through.
2: Yeah, by clicking on the Podcast Products button, you can find, basically like you say, everything we've talked about uh, on the podcast over the last couple of months. From the chocolate tools to the, um, those la- lovely lambswool scarfs we talked about. Ah, um, oh, I love oh, the
1: old lambswool scarf. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a good quality scarf there from, uh, what was it?
1: McNutt. McNutt. Yeah, McNutt of Donegal. And That's he the makes one. the quality weaves, he does.
2: We all need a quality weave at this time of year. Mm. Uh, especially you and I when we're a bit thin on top. <laughs> <laughs> but elsewhere, you know, we've got uh, our bandanas, the body warmers again. You know, they're, they're going to be... Uh, popular as we move in towards the winter uh, there's the, the the 90th anniversary bandanas there's the metro 6r4 um Skeletric set we talked about yeah anytime we uh we mention a product here on the podcast the the idea is that um we'll we'll add them to that page so that it really does make it nice and simple you want to find what we've talked about on the podcast just click the podcast products button at the bottom of the page
1: there you go shop.mgcc.co.uk everything you need to sort christmas out there with all the gifts and stuff and actually everything you need if you just fancy buying yourself or your car something nice go and have a look at it now that's what i'm going to go and do in fact i'm going to go and spend some money on the mg car club shop so for me wayne scott We'll see you next time.
0: From me, Adam Sloan, see you soon. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.